0: North Korea is under the world's most stringent set of international sanctions. This includes, since 2006, a ban on exporting luxury goods to North Korea. But this has not stopped Kim Jong-un from amassing a fleet of high-end cars. He's regularly seen in Mercedes and Rolls Royces both in North Korea and on his trips abroad. And now a fascinating report in the New York Times offers some key insights into how Kim Jong Un smuggles his luxury cars into North Korea. Reporters from the New York Times teamed up with researchers at the nonprofit Center for Advanced Defense Studies, or C4ADS, to track two Mercedes Maybachs from their manufacture in Germany to the streets of Pyongyang. The route these cars took was a circuitous one involving multiple shipping vessels docking in at least five countries over the course of several months. But using open-source data and satellite imagery, the reporters and researchers were able to paint a pretty clear picture of how these cars ended up in North Korea. And in so doing, they revealed how North Korea is able to evade some sanctions. On the line with me to discuss his reporting is one of the journalists on this story, Christoph Kottel. He is a visual investigations journalist with the New York Times video team specializing in geospatial and open source research. And we spend most of this conversation discussing the step-by-step journey of these cars. And I think going through each leg of this trip is important because this story reveals a weakness in international sanctions in general and on North Korea in particular. And that's this. Sanctions are only robust to the extent that countries are willing and able to enforce them. Uh, This is a totally fascinating episode. I think any student or observer of international affairs will uh, appreciate the story that Christoph Kotel tells. And I'm also particularly interested and intrigued by the tradecraft uh, that Christoph Kotel uses. All right, now here is my conversation with Christoph Kotel of the New York Times. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. For those poor souls who don't know or can't afford a Maybach Mercedes S600, can you just describe what are those
1: automobiles? Sure. So it's definitely not your regular car that you would pick up at a local car dealer it's something very special. So the most the most important feature, I would say, is that these are bulletproof cars. Um, so they're actually Mercedes S600 Guard, and the Guard defines that these are armored vehicles. Uh, they're really expensive, I would say, for the average customer. Um, they start, I think, at the basic version at half a million dollar. Um, a lot of these are a little bit more customized. They are really marketed to world leaders or business leaders it's not an average car the idea here is uh that since these are bulletproof um that is sort of the key feature and um it's i think it has the highest grade of like commercially available protection so that's really sort of the distinguishing feature of course they come with a lot of like uh bells and whistles as well Um, You have like really good I think communications equipment in there. You can separate yourself from the driver There's a lot of luxury in there. You can probably connect your laptop or other devices that you have So it's one of these cars that maybe I'm not sure about you But myself have never been into in one of these cars. I I have two in my garage
0: right now.
1: Oh, okay That's nice. Uh, I do not I don't have a single car I mainly biking and using the subway Um, So it's it's definitely a more unusual car Um, I do not think that uh, Mercedes is selling a lot of these per year. One of our questions actually to to Daimler, who is producing these cars, that's the the car maker that that owns Mercedes. One of the questions we had for them was, how many of these cars do you sell per year? And they were not very forthcoming. They sent us a few standard bullet points. um, And what they were, were not telling us is how many cars they sell per year. So they said that's like a corporate secret.
0: One of the interesting things about your report is that you are unable to determine who the purchaser from Daimler was of these two Maybach Mercedes S600s, right?
1: Exactly. So there were really two things that I specifically looked into very closer, which is how did this journey begin? Which is means in Germany, like who is uh, Mercedes selling these cars to? Who might have been the purchaser purchaser of these cars? And also like how specifically uh, did they possibly get to North Korea and both of these things were very, very tricky and there are still a a few gaps. Um, So we contacted Mercedes, right? We, We contacted Daimler and asked him some questions and we got five bullet points back, which is the standard response that is also covered in other news articles. The gist of it is like, you know, we apply, we comply to all export regulations, we do not sell cars to North Korea, and I believe them, um, but unfortunately they did not, you know, share any more information of like how many cars they sell per year, who are purchasers, and it's not that we would publish that, but it could be very useful, of course, for an investigation like this. Mm. So we could not find out who bought these cars in the first place. There are some theories, you know, it might be that somebody in China, maybe like a company or middleman was in China who purchased these cars because that was the first stop on the journey. Um, but unfortunately, we were not, you know, we could not determine who was the specific person who bought the car, the cars in the first place.
0: So let's talk about that, the journey. It starts in in Rotterdam, which is, you know, one of the largest ports in the world. And what do we know about how those two cars make it to their first stop?
1: Sure. So that's, yeah, it's a little bit uncertain, but um, what we were able to find out um, after after a while is we, we got two specific container numbers from one of the shippers involved in this journey. And that allows you to to track, you know, at least parts of the journey. It doesn't like reveal everything. Um, you also have to know like who, which is the shipping company. So we had like two Container numbers and once you you know like use these numbers and you type it into a system called track and trace And you provide the the shipping line which in this case was Costco which I believe is the fourth largest Shipping company in the world uh, We got a lot of details Um, and it it shows you that uh, these two containers were um, Handed over to Costco on June 14th 2018 were transported via a truck to the shipping terminal in Rotterdam and on June 20th, they were loaded onto a specific ship, which was called the Costco Spain. Um, and that ship left the Rotterdam terminal um, on June 20th, I believe around four in the afternoon. And since I specialize in satellite images, um, and since i work worked for the visual investigations team, of course, I wanted to see if we can get a visual, in this case, a satellite image of that specific ship. And sure enough, which was a very lucky shot, um, there was a satellite image captured around two in the afternoon from that terminal um, and it showed that ship with all the containers on it. Uh, we could not identify, it doesn't go that far that you can identify the specific containers, unfortunately, because there are probably a few hundred on one of these ships, but it was a very powerful visual that we could see the exact beginning of the journey of these co- containers that contained the two cars. Uh, so that was, was pretty great. Uh, I would say.
0: And and so these Two containers containing these two armored cars uh, leave Rotterdam, and what, like 40-something days later, they end up in China, right? What What's the next step
1: of the journey? Uh, exactly. So the, it takes 41 days, and they reach the port of Dalian in China, um, and that's where they unloaded on July 31st. Um, we had another satellite image right at the moment when the ship docks there, so we had it at both ends of that lag. Um, and the containers are unloaded there, and then they actually stay in the port of Dalian for for several weeks until late August. So they had quite a, a long stay there, which is, I think, is a little bit unusual, and we don't know exactly what happened. Um, but that's the the the, the second stop. Um, and for this part of the journey, because it's several legs, um, we really have the the exact details, which which is great because we had the container numbers and the shipping company, so that showed us really. A lot of details uh, for this story.
0: and then why do these um, containers containing these cars then go to Osaka, Japan?
1: Sure, so it's it's it gets a little bit more complicated and uh, I have to point out something very important here like so our reporting we partnered with a group called Center for Defense Studies um, and they published a very detailed report on this topic in general. so like how do luxury goods make it into North Korea? Um, and we partnered with them. They gave us an advanced copy of this report, so they did a lot of this research that I'm describing here, and we were able to you know add on to that, to corroborate, to find new leads. Um, and one of one of the gaps in the journey is, in terms of details is between China and uh, Osaka. So it's not entirely cl- clear how they uh, got to Osaka. What we were able to find out by talking by someone involved in this process is that it appears that there might have gone something wrong. So we talked to someone and he said I got pulled in last minute, I got contacted that these containers are stuck there, they're supposed to be imported into China, um, which didn't work out. So the new plan is to ship them to Osaka in Japan and then try China again in Shanghai, actually. Hmm. Um, and what was interesting is that I did some tracking of a ship that received the, the cargo at a later point. And it was exactly at these locations that that source told us. So that ship was already waiting in Dalian and then it moved to Shanghai. Then there was a hurricane that hit Osaka. So that handover didn't really work out and there was a delay. Um, and the decision was made to ship it to South Korea. So it's, it's a little bit complicated, uh, to explain that sometimes, but. It seems to us, you know, like there are a few things might have gone wrong, but it's, of course, it's helpful to ship it through a few separate countries. Um, nobody really looks into these containers. They are sealed. This is standard procedure. So it's kind of hard to sort of like find out that there's anything wrong going on because all that you see on the on the shipment documents is that it's two Mercedes, um, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface, right? And so it just says two Mercedes. It doesn't say two
0: armored Mercedes that only, you know, world leaders or, or criminal gang members tend to buy. This just says, like, it's, generally, it says these are just Mercedes.
1: It, no, it, it it actually says, um, uh, you know, Mercedes Maybach S600 Guard. So it's clear that they're armored. It By itself, that's not a crime, right? Because yeah. It's, it's world leaders, but it's also, you know, like you might need protection for various reasons. If you're a business person, you work, then you get kidnapped. So there are a lot of reasons why you would need like I've a car been in like, like
0: UN armored cars before. Never uh, armored, you know, Maybach, Mercedes, but you know. Exactly. That, that, right?
1: It's, it's yeah. in conflict zones like journalists, you know, humanitarian workers. Yeah. They might end up in these cars as well for protection purposes. So there are very clear, legitimate reasons, obviously.
0: It is in Busan, South Korea that perhaps like the sketchiest part of this journey begins. Um, can you describe what you revealed about what happened in in South Korea when those two containers made it there?
1: Sure. so so C4DS, the research group we worked with, um, and that's really how I think this whole story came about. They figured out that the last ship that has these two containers with the two armored vehicles, um is a ship that is implicated in North Korean sanctions violations so that is basically the gist of the story so why do these two armed vehicles end up on this ship and this ship is um, called dn5505 exactly yeah. and it's it's important i think to to talk a little bit about the the background of this ship because that's sort of where the red flags come up the ship this ship itself It it changed ownership in July, so in July of 2018. So just a few days or weeks before the cars arrive in China, this ship is transferred from some companies that had some past involvement with North Korean sanctions involvement to a new company called Duyong Shipping, and that company is registered in the Marshall Islands, which is a traditional uh, secrecy jurisdiction. So there's not; it's difficult to find something out about this company. But who is behind this uh, company is a Russian national um, and he owns or his company owns two ships, the DN5505 and the second ship called the Katrin and both of these ships eventually in February of 2019 get seized by South Korean authorities for uh, sanctions evasions. Um, and the reason why the ships get seized is because they transport coal from North Korea or oil to North Korea, that's the accusation. So there's a very clear connection to North Korean sanctions evasions. Um, and that raised a lot of flags, right? Why do these two cars end up on this ship? And what happens with the cars? And that is the big mystery. We have a theory that we can talk about in a little bit. But what happens is, you know, there are a few flags, red flags around this ship. Um, as soon as that ship picks up the cars, it leaves the port in South Korea and it immediately turns off its transponder signal.
0: And, and, and like all it, ships have these transponder signals, right? That they're supposed to keep on so you can track them, but they just turn theirs off, right?
1: Exactly. This, this is a requirement under international maritime law. It's for safety reasons. There are sometimes legitimate reasons. There might be a technical failure or in the area where that ship is sailing uh, around North Korea and the Russian Far East there's sometimes poor reception, but what happens is that the signal disappears and it only comes back 18 days later. So that's a very long time period that's highly unusual. And what we also did is we looked at, you know, like the history of these signals for this specific ship. And over the last seven or eight months, it had these long periods two or three times. So this is nothing unusual for this ship. So there were some I would say, sketchy activities going on repeatedly.
0: And and 18 days later, when it uh, has its signal turned back on, it's back in South Korean waters, this time full of coal, correct?
1: Exactly. So the signal is back. It heads back towards South Korea. The cars are gone. And instead, it's carrying coal. Hmm. So So what do you think happened, Christoph? Uh, sure yeah so our theory um and again this is um you know like largely based on the report from C4DS um, we looked at what were sort of the last signals that uh, the ship was this ship was transmitting when it was leaving South Korea i talked to various you know maritime experts um uh, on this specific case the last signal it sends it actually not only transmits the location but it's also all, also transmitting its last planned destination. And that destination is a cold port right next to Vladivostok. And it says in the last signal is that like the expected arrival date is October 5th, I believe early in the morning. So that's the last thing we know. It goes towards that direction of Vladivostok. When it's coming back, it's coming also again from the Russian far east. Um, so it's a very likely scenario that the ship actually went there. I comes back with coal, and Nahotka, the place next to Vladivostok, um, is a a traditional uh, coal port. So it's very likely that it probably went uh, to Russia to pick up the coal. And what must have happened, it had to unload the two containers somewhere on the way there.
0: And then you also have some evidence that um – like Air Korea flights, like the North Korean you know, airliner uh, that has, um, you know, some some of their cargo uh, planes landed in Vladivostok and apparently picked up these cars.
1: Yeah, so I think everything we I just told you so far is based on you know hard data, um, is very well established in in shipping data and tracking data, but also in shipping documents. Um, so when the ship comes back to South Korea, like the, the shipping document says, it picked up coal and we, we're handing it over, we're selling it now in South Korea. Um, so the theory is now that actually the containers then went to Vladivostok. Um, and it's there's something very, very interesting happens. On October 7th, so that's two days after the ship is reported to arrive in the Russian Far East, several North Korean uh, transport cargo planes make a landing in Vladivostok. And it's important to point out a few things here. So number one is that route from Pyongyang to Vladivostok. There are regular passenger flights, but the cargo planes, I think, flew one time um, in the years before. So then that's not a regular route for these cargo planes. And what these cargo planes do very often, um, and we have seen that repeatedly in the last one and a half years, when Kim Jong-un travels abroad for various summit meetings, including with President Trump, he brings his armored motorcade, so his armored vehicles are transported on these cargo planes. That's what they're very often used for. So it's very interesting that these cargo planes show up in Vladivostok um, right at the same time when these uh, cargo, uh, when when the containers arrive there and go missing. So we don't have any like visual evidence or, you know, like hard data that these uh, cars really went on the cargo planes, but. It's you know something very interesting and suspicious that uh, we believe, of course, is something was well, something very important that we report on.
0: And and we do know though that um, Kim Jong Un is riding around in a Mercedes Maybach S600 at some
1: point thereafter around Pyongyang, right? Exactly. So four months after uh, the car school missing, um, the the website North Korean News spotted uh, the same model of these cars in Pyongyang. Um, and Kim Jong-un is driving around in them. Um, so we know that he has these cars of the same model. So that's obviously a very, very important clue, um, which started this whole process, of course, like wh- how did he got, uh, how did he get these cars? Right. And, um, it's also the timing of course is very interesting that the cars go missing in October and three, four months later, he shows up in one of these cars. Um, there's one more important thing that i i want to point out related to vladivostok the the Russian owner of uh the ship that picks up the cars in South Korea he also happens to be based in in vladivostok so that 's of course something also that we we reported out
0: what I think was is- so valuable that that we just now went through the step-by-step and what I found so valuable about your reporting and the work of the Center for Advanced Defense Studies is just, you know, how it demonstrates a few things. Number one, the, just the amount of players and countries that are involved in evading these sanctions on luxury goods. And it sort of drives home, uh, I think, a point that I try to make when I'm writing about sanctions in general, which is, you know, Security Council sanctions are only as strong or as robust as the ability and willingness of member states to enforce them. Um, And it seems like there was a breakdown in this enforcement mechanism at a lot of different levels. Um, You know, sometimes like, you know, it just seems kind of like reading the tea leaves of, of your reporting. Like Japan, for example, is a country that is one of the most hawkish countries on North Korea. I can't imagine that they would sort of willingly, uh, let, um, these sort of luxury goods pass through their, their shores. Um, China and Russia, you know, UN reports in the past have shown how they've kind of given a wink and a nod to certain smuggling operations. Um, I guess like what, do you know, or what has your reporting revealed about how these sort of breakdown in the ability to enforce these sanctions occurred? Like, was is there like was there a step in this process from Rotterdam to Pyongyang uh, that seems particularly sort of egregious in terms of um, the inability or unwillingness? of governments of, say, Russia or China or Japan or South Korea to, to you know, enforce these sanctions?
1: Um, I think, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that are important to highlight, right? I mean, the the, the, the UN uh, resolutions that say that, that enact these, the ban on luxury goods to North Korea, I think they specifically say that, you know, we delegate their responsibility to member states, they have to define luxury goods, and they have to enforce it. So there's not sort of like a universal like agreement what actually considers, what is considered a luxury good, right? And we, we both of us might have a different understanding of what a luxury good is. Um, so there are some regimes such as the European Union, they have this more specifically defined, um, other countries don't have that so much. So it's sometimes uh, up to then customs officials or like, you know, uh, agents involved with shipping to figure out, you know, like, is this a problem now or not? So I think once these cars, for example, get to South Korea and the local shippers realize, like, these are two armored vehicles and we're putting these on a ship, um, that in the past was connected to North Korean sanctions violations. I think that is one of these moments where you uh, scratch your head a little bit. Um, it's maybe less the private company. My impression of doing interviews with some of the people involved, they seem to be a little bit careless uh, because once we called them up, we got from some of them interesting responses. They said like, oh, I should not have gotten involved in this because it was all last minute and hectic. And then they asked us, is this North Korea related? So that tells me that they had some suspicions, but of course this is a business, right? So they earn money through this. I think in terms of you know like uh specific states, I think it really comes back to you know, this ship that is already su- suspected and somehow connected to to North Korea. It docks in South Korea in, in South Korea the specific port. Um the shipping documents tell you that uh, we're loading two armored Mercedes on this specific vehicle that should raise some red flags right so that sort of indicates that there are some some loopholes and there are some some problems with the the enforcement mechanism and also the monitoring mechanism
0: does your reporting at all suggest if there's like corruption on the south korean side like where people perhaps like paid off to look the other way no we, we don't have
1: any information in this regard
0: uh, and another interesting character is, of course, that businessman in Vladivostok, Russia. I mean, it's again one of those sort of one of the lingering questions I have after reading uh, your report and, and speaking to you is, you know, is this just like a, you know, a, a opportunistic businessman who's just looking to make a quick buck by doing some sanctions evasion in North Korea? Or is he sort of politically connected? in any way and are russian government authorities somehow sort of willingly turning turning a blind eye to this
1: sure so our reporting does not you know suggest that you know the russian government is involved in any way like this or that this russian businessman in any way is politically motivated um what I noticed is like looking at uh, this Russian businessman is he happens to be the owner of a car shop in Vladivostok. So that was a very interesting detail because as the C40S report points out is that when you ship cars, you have to number one, there can't be any like gasoline in the cars, but also you have to disconnect the batteries and these vehicles are highly sensitive and very high tech. So you actually need specialists to reconnect the batteries before you know, you can start using them. So it was sort of relevant to point out in the report, in their report that like, oh, he, he's registered as the owner of a car shop. Um, looking a little bit deeper, it turns out that there was apparently some sort of tax evasion case against him a couple of years ago in Russia because he did not report any income on this car shop, he did not pay any taxes. So if you look at his background, is it seems like that he had some troubles with the law in the past and his businesses. So that tells me more he's like he's trying to make some money, um, he might try to profit from uh, the sanctions, right, because of course, these goods suddenly don't cost $500,000 anymore, but because they're prohibited. prohibited. It gets suddenly much more expensive to transport them, and there are opportunities, of course, to make some money for for people involved. Mm. So I think it's really more like a, a profiteering question. I would say that that's what our reporting suggests.
0: And then finally, um, you know, the, the big concern here, uh, you know, is not perhaps like, you know, armored vehicles or, or you know, the Maybach S-600. Rather, it's the idea that you could use these networks to import perhaps dual-use equipment, you know, equipment that might have some civilian use, but also could have uh, military potential as well that, um, you know, North Korea could, you know, theoretically use on its neighbors and, and, you know, boost its own military might or perhaps use these networks to snuggle nuclear know-how and technology as, as well.
1: Uh, sh- sure, yeah. So, so generally speaking, because we have clearly a no indication of this specific reporting in, in this specific case, none of the actors involved is in any way connected to arms. So, to be clear, but the point here is that it's quite difficult and it's quite a sophisticated operation, I would say, to get these very specialized goods, such as cars, uh, to East Asia and then to possibly to North Korea. Um, so this requires skills and context and a trusted network. And the same techniques, of course, can be used to smuggle something else. So that could be u- dual use technology for a weapons program. Um, I have interviewed, I would say five, six experts on, on North Korea and sanctions evasions. And they all agree that, yeah, if you want to smuggle any sort of like specialty goods, such as Mercedes, armored Mercedes, um, it requires similar techniques that you would use to, to, to smuggle dual technology into the country. And that's why, you know, while this is an interesting story about these cars, it's much more complicated and relevant because it really comes down to, as you said, it's like, oh, you know, like these techniques and some of these networks could be used to smuggle in something much more dangerous.
0: Uh, all right. Well, Christoph, thank you so much for your time and, and for your reporting.
1: Sure. Thanks so much for having me. And, and thanks for being a listener to the show as well. Of course, yeah,
0: love it. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Christoph. I'll certainly post a link to his article on the website. And yeah, as I mentioned at the end, it's always great when uh, listeners to the show come on as guests. I, I love it when that happens. And Christoph, I know, has been listening to the show for a long time. He's also been a subscriber to my uh, Dawn's Digest news clips service for a long time as well. So thank you, Christoph. And, of course, if you want to access those news clips, you can become a premium subscriber. They're complimentary with your premium subscription. Uh, And with a premium subscription, of course, uh, you can unlock a number of bonus episodes that I post every week as well. Among other uh, bonuses, I'll mail you a sticker as well. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.